we could gather in here to our seats. I am excited to be with you at the Church of Omaha today in the house of the Lord. And, uh, I say in the house of the Lord, but quickly in my mind, you are the house of the Lord. You are the temple. Temples not made with hands. Hallelujah. Well, if we could turn in our Bibles... I would like to read Romans chapter 14, verse 17. And then I will also highlight Mark chapter 1, verse 14. Romans chapter 14, verse 17 says, For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. And then Mark chapter 1, verse 14 says, now that after John was put in prison, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. Lord Jesus, speak into our lives. Oh God, we are yours. God, we submit ourselves to you. Preach to us today. Teach us, oh God. In Jesus' name, amen. And I just want to talk to you today about the kingdom of God and submission. The kingdom of God and submission. And it's no sort of fancy title. Last week's title was a bit, uh, a bit different there. Um, but we don't have one of those today. No French fries, no Coke bottles, no deodorant. Um, but in our passage here, I started out with Romans chapter 14, verse 17. And, and here this whole passage in Romans just to... Just touch it real quick. It's actually talking about dealing with other people. And, and, and are you going to go ahead and how are you going to eat meat in front of them? And if they're, they're a weaker vessel and if they're struggling with some stuff, don't, you don't need to throw it in their face. And in the middle of all this, he, talk, he mentions in there, for the kingdom of God is not meat and, meat and drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. And we a lot of times pull that verse out and use it. And I think that's okay because... It, it highlights to us, and I, by no means am I advocating that we separate scriptures out and, and just bend them to whatever shape we want, but Paul here is highlighting something that I want to circle back to in the book of Mark now, and that is that the kingdom of God is something different than how we view kingdoms in our world. And Jesus, when he came on this earth, there's some exciting things here, when when you open up the book of Mark, and I'm just going to flip over there. When you open up the book of Mark, and this was our quiz material uh, last year. But the quizzers would quote to you the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And, and it's interesting as you open up this book, it, it, it gives one prophetic word. And it says, as it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. Now when you, that this is the, the writer, and he's, he's on the outside, and he's writing, he's beginning to describe, and then he'll enter into the life of Jesus and begin to unfold Jesus' life, both in, in terms of Scripture and then what Jesus did. But, but the very first thing he pulls out when he goes to introduce Jesus is he says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God... And then he references a prophecy actually about John. And this prophecy about John, you can delve back into Isaiah chapter 40, and I'm going to highlight a lot of scripture today. 
But when you look in Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 1, it says, Comfort ye, comfort ye my people, saith your God. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned. For she hath received the Lord's hand double for all her sins. And then it launches in and it says, The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted and every mountain shall be made low. And the crooked shall be made straight in the rough plain. And the glory shall be exalted, or, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. And we'll slide down to the, um, verse 9 here, and it says, O that Zion bring good tidings, get thee up into the high mountain, O Jerusalem, that bringeth good tidings. Lift up thy voice with strength, lift it up, be not afraid. Say unto the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold your God. And I like how it displays there in the back. I know you guys have a little smaller print, but it, behold your God. This opening of the book of Mark is there's going to be a prophet or, or a voice in the wilderness that comes that begins to prepare. And that was John saying, repent, repent, repent. Why? Because I'm preparing the way for behold your God. And anybody else standing out there that day, they, they don't quite equate in their mind the fact that Jesus that shows up, or in the book of John, chapter 1, verse 29, when, when John introduces Jesus, he says, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. They're not quite realizing, Behold your God. Jesus is Almighty God, robed in flesh. But to everybody there seeing him that day, they just see another man that walked in on the scene. They, they see some peculiarities. They see John referencing, behold the Lamb of God. And, and, and there was a few disciples that noticed this and, and saw that John's pointing out Jesus. And, and, and you know Jesus was the most popular name of the day. One of the most popular names. You can see that through research in, jo in Josephus. And, and I was talking to someone the other day, and Barabbas, maybe it was you, Sister Nancy, Barabbas' name was actually like Bar-Jesus. It's just when we translate it into English, we, we hold the name of Jesus as we should so sacred that we say, hey, we don't want to apply this all over the place. But another, at that time, another Jesus had just walked in. And they're like, oh, Jesus is getting baptized. And a few disciples that were hungry, you know, a John and an Andrew looked and they said, wait a second, there's something about that guy right there. And this man I trusted just pointed him out. And they begin to follow after Jesus. They begin to follow him. God had shown up on the scene. And isn't that exciting? Oh, the great announcement and the declaration and, and prophecy being fulfilled and the voice in the wilderness and, and pointing him out. And it's, behold your God. You see, Israel was longing. They had been taken captive time after time and they were longing to be glorious again, to truly be restored and to be pulled out from under the hand of the Roman Empire to no longer be ensnared or trapped. And, and Jesus comes along and He begins teaching and preaching. And we see here that 
that he's preaching, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent ye and believe the gospel or the good news. What does that word kingdom mean? Well, there's a couple things with that. One, kingdom, especially back here in the Greek and in the Old English, wasn't a set of boundaries. We talk about Nebraska. Please indulge me if we said the kingdom of Nebraska. That's stretching a little bit, right? A bunch of fields. Nobody lives there. But you could say the governor was the ruler of the kingdom of Nebraska. If we went a little further with it, we would say the president of the United States, we could call, say he's the ruler of the kingdom of the United States. And immediately in your mind, or at least in my mind, I see a map and I see that the shape with the handle down here called Florida and, oh, throw up there, Alaska and Hawaii out over here. And, and that's the United States of America. And I think of a kingdom with boundaries, landmass, and everything contained in it. When I look over at the United Kingdom and I see Scotland and England and, and I'm like, how did we get this thing called the United Kingdom? Why didn't it just be the king of England? But, but I begin to see, oh, there's all these lands that fall under this ruler or this king or this queen. And, and, and so I think of kingdoms in terms of boundaries. Am I the only one who thinks of it that way? You see, in the Greek and in the Old English, it's the rule. It's the authority. And so if you could think about it a little bit differently... That when a, a ruler showed up, what that meant was their authority and power showed up. And when the Roman Empire and Caesar and all that walked into Israel, they were saying a new rule, a new authority is on the scene right here. And I am taking dominion and authority over all of you people right now. So any atrocities that were going on, they decided to change up. They changed it up. Um, when the United States went into Afghanistan and when we rolled into Iraq, our most recent wars, what did we do when we showed up? We said our rule and our authority is here and these things here that we want to see changed, we're demanding they be changed. And so a war incurs where people who say, hey, I don't want to submit to your authority, fight back against you until somebody's authority wins. And when Jesus walked on the scene, he wasn't saying, okay, this little piece of altar right here with this carpet, this is my kingdom. No, when he walked in, he said the kingdom, and the next part's the most important part, of God. Oh, you could lose the word kingdom and you could just say, God is at hand. But if you just said kingdom and you don't say God, there's a problem there. You're like, whose kingdom? Jesus talked about the kingdom of Satan. And that meant that Satan had rule and dominion over here. I don't want him to have rule and dominion in my life. I got a lot of notes up here. I don't know where we're going to go today. I mean, I have an idea where we're supposed to go. I just am like, man, Lord, we got a lot of material to cover. But uh, the rule and the authority. And so when Jesus filled me with his spirit, he walked in and said, my authority and rule belongs here. And all these things that, that Lucas did he should never have done, I'm not going to recognize them anymore. I'm not going to hold them against him anymore. It's as if they never occurred. And that's my right as God. That was God saying that. I can do this. My authority is here. My power. Oh, and so Jesus was making a big note there. 
He said, the kingdom of God is at hand. You know, it blows my mind a little bit. Because that was over 2,000 years ago. And I'm waiting for him to split the clouds of glory. And I'm longing for him. And, and just like the disciples in the book of Acts, they said, so, so uh, is this when you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They still hadn't quite got that, that God was doing something greater than just some land mass over here that was promised to Abraham and David ruled over and Solomon. And, and hey, are we going to get back to that great day? He's like... It's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in His own power. But He told them, But ye shall receive power. After that the Holy Ghost has come upon me, upon you, and you shall be witnesses. I've got you in a different role here. It's not what you're, you're still not quite getting what I said when the kingdom of God is at hand. His authority and His power. And when Jesus walked in on the scene... And from there, as he walked throughout the land, you know who knew he was there? He went 40 days into the wilderness. Mm. Do not take lightly your wrestlings that you go through. Some of you have wrestled with sins that have tried to bind you. You've wrestled with callings that, that God put out on your life. You've wrestled with things you didn't quite even know. Don't take lightly when you've gotten into some places. Maybe you went through some long processes. Because Jesus, the man Jesus, went in the wilderness because the Spirit said, hey, you've got to go in here. And he came out of that place. And you know what happened? Spirits cried out and said, whoa, 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 whoa. It's, it's not time yet. And hey, leave me alone. And Jesus is like, shut up. Shut up. You're not here to reveal. You see, the spirit realm knew that the kingdom of God was right there. The rule and the authority of, of God had shown up on the scene. Everything was different, but it was hidden. Oh, it, was, it wasn't recognizable. Think about all those people. When they realize one day, you're God? You mean you sat in our synagogue? And we didn't... We questioned you? We debated with you? God let himself be, quote, in hiding in plain sight. But that doesn't mean that his authority, power, and rule was any less just because it was covered up. Just because he told stories and parables. Just because he, he tossed out a proverb. Just because he, he, he kept things hidden in plain sight doesn't mean that the authority and power wasn't there. That's why the dead came back to life. That's why the lame were healed. That's why the blinded were able to see his authority and power. And when he poured out his spirit on the day of Pentecost, he still said, I'm doing it a little different way. I'm going to right now, I, like, I called it last week, phase one, right? Phase one, I'm sending out my authority, power, and rule throughout the world through you. And you're going to go ahead and you're going to walk into somebody else's life and that you're going to go ahead and preach the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent you and believe the gospel. Go ahead and so we preach repentance and baptism in the name of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Give Him glory. Hallelujah. Oh, He said it should be preached in His name beginning at Jerusalem. Hallelujah. And so we bring the name. And, it, and you're like, the name? Well, you can just show up and you can say Lucas or something, right? What does that even mean? 
Oh no, it's the full identity and full force of Jesus Christ. And when you bring Him into the scene, and you say in the name of Jesus, oh, in the spirit realm, Jesus is right there. Oh, when you're in His will, that means that, that He's with you and you're in Him. And when you line your purpose up with His purpose, you step into any situation. Oh, you got to understand, the kingdom of God overthrew the kingdom of Satan. His authority kicked Him out. Oh, you've seen Satan there. What was Satan trying to do? He tempted him in the wilderness. Maybe we can get this taken care of here. Maybe we can get it taken care of there. I, I, I was thinking about it the other day. Uh, um, we talk about how, how the devils rejoiced Jesus died on the cross. You know what happened before he went to the cross? Peter was called Satan. Why? Because he was trying to thwart what was the plan of God ignorantly. Oh, you can't die. Oh, you can't go there. The disciples are marching with him on the way to Jerusalem. And, and maybe they thought, okay, maybe he got some things straight now. He's on a donkey here. They're all rejoicing over him. Maybe it's not, maybe he got his head cleared up here. Why? Because go to a cross? No, you, you can't do that. And they were tools of the devil to prevent the work of God. And yet Jesus said, oh, I got to go to that cross. He provoked it all the way. He needled those religious leaders who, who were so smart and so learned. And he's like, go learn. Oh, you need to go study. You need to this and that. And he overthrew their tables and he rocked their world. And, 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 and they're like, we got to do something about this guy. That's why they did the one thing they realized they could do. And they went and said, hey, Caesar, there's somebody else here who's declaring themselves to be king. And you know, that's treasonous. They wanted to take care of him. And Jesus is like, that's exactly where I need to be. Because I'm establishing my kingdom. And so he kicked over the kingdom of Satan. You, oh, you don't need to worry. You don't need to wonder. The devil does not have authority in charge in your life. Oh, God went ahead and took care of him. And he lives in you. And so if you will live for God, if you will Submit. You can live in liberty. You can live in liberty. And so that brings us some of the next parts of my, my notes here. This kingdom of God. I thought initially I was going to go a completely different direction. I mean before I took the pulpit. When I was writing notes. But as I begin to talk to God. And we may come back to this kingdom of God. And. And highlight it in many different ways in future messages. You know, the book of Mark is very much thought to be tied to the accounts of Peter. And when you flip over to 1 Peter and you begin to go through the entire book, you think, well, he's made a point here. Is this the last time he's going to make this point? Oh, no, no, there's another scripture here. There's another passage. Because Peter had an understanding now of who Jesus Christ was, what he needed to go through, and how we need to live. And so I've got a few passages here. I'll try not to, to read everything, but 1 Peter chapter 1 says, Blessed, in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy, <laughs> I told you the kingdom's already here, hath begotten us again unto a lively hope 
by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He's saying, wait a second. This is what's already happened. He's begotten us. He's birthed us. He's done something special in us. To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. Oh, I'm so excited here, Sister Kim, because the kingdom of God, the authority and His power went ahead and birthed me and brought me out and gave me an inheritance. And just because I'm in the flesh and I haven't realized it all yet doesn't mean it's not mine. Oh, take that devil. Take that sin. Take that kingdom of this world. I've got Jesus. Oh, I have an inheritance. I have a hope. I have a purpose. Oh, he says, wherein ye greatly rejoice, though for now a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto the praise, honor, and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Oh, what do we have here? You say, well, man, Pastor Lucas, I go through a struggle. I go through a trial. But yet, I have the kingdom of God. I have Jesus in me, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Oh, he's working in me. He's, he's creating in me. He's doing a work. But I might go through some trial and some struggle. Oh, that's just for a time, though. And you say, well, I don't understand. God's making you. He's shaping you. He's working you in His image. And you know what? It's not just that. But Sister Kiara, He's working in you. And so in turn, through His work in you, you get to reach somebody else out over here. Brother Khan, you think you're just working on a transmission and you go through a heartache or a struggle there. And somebody over in the other booth, they, they, they get to witness your reaction. You know what sometimes happens? God allows us to go through failure. And in our failure, we get changed. But in that, somebody else gets to witness sometimes our failure. And out of it, they get to say, wait a second. Look what God has done in their life. And it's an awe, amazing thing. Because now they can have hope for themselves too. Because out of your struggle and your victory, they know they can have victory too. And you have just brought to them the gospel or the good news of what Jesus Christ can do. I, I am not telling anybody to go backslide. But every backslider out there, everyone who's left God, what's a backslider? You know, I think that's a funny word too. Um, but somebody who went back to the world, they slid back. They said, wait a second, I don't want to do this anymore. They knew Jesus and they went out and they lived a way they shouldn't have lived. And, and, and they went back to it. And yet, when you turn back to God and you begin to live for Him and you shake your head and you wonder, why did I give up those precious years? Yet, God will take your failure and He works it for good. And those other people begin to say, wait a second, what happened to you? Whoa, what happened to you? How did you turn around? Some of you, some of you grew up in the church house. You never, quote, by any other human standards, left church. 
but you didn't have the greatest tongue in the world. And I don't mean you cussed up a storm. I mean you treated people not right. And God did some works on you. And now people can go, wait a second. What changed about you? You used to be a real jerk to me. You changed. That's God working in you and putting Himself on display for them. Don't underestimate the power of your testimony of the work of God. It's a demonstration of the gospel, the good news. So Peter says we go through struggle. We go through trial. Why? Because there's a war. There's more power and dominion that needs to enter into other lives and needs to go ahead and kick out the dominion of Satan in their life. There's still a struggle. It's not because God isn't in control. It's because there's more people that need to give control to Him. And He wants to save another and another and another. And you know what? He has much people in this city. And so Sam, we're still here and we're preaching and we're reaching because there's somebody else. And Jesus is saying they're not in here yet. But I've got a mark on them. I know that they will have a heart towards me. And I want to live inside of them and eventually they're going to get around there and they're going to hear this word and I just believe that they're going to come oh we have a great hope so we go through struggle and trial and so as I go down through these precious promises in the book of Peter and I see our struggle and there's some other verses I may highlight as we go along but Peter gives us some nuggets of how we should live. Of how we should live. He tells us, he says in verse 17, And if ye call on the Father, who without respected persons judges every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. What is that telling us? The God who saved you, the God who went through struggle and went to the cross, he's saying now that he's done something in you, you need to be careful. I don't mean like this, but I think you need to be like, okay, you know what? Even when it looks bleak out there and I see everybody else seemingly doing sin the other way, how do you want me to live, God? What do you want me to do, God? How, how, how do you want me to be, God? Why? Because the prophets in the Old Testament, they wanted this. They searched out for it. They longed for it. Yet you and I, nobody who ever deserved this, he said, you're going to be born at this time, and I'm going to give it to you. And you know, we haven't seen him face to face, but we have him in our hearts. And so we need to sojourn in fear. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold from your vain conversation, but what? But with the precious blood of Christ, we've been redeemed. First Peter chapter 2, verse 1. Wherefore lay aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and evil speaking. Mm. You know, Jesus forgave him from the cross. Why? Because he saw the bigger picture. And he had come with love and mercy. And he knew that those religious leaders of Israel, they were, blind, they were blind and they were ignorant and they didn't see and they were caught up in their own power. But he was bigger than that. He knew what sin did to people. But he's like, I had to come here and I understand that. And so he 
forgave. The one who could have had malice and, and, and strife and been upset about it all. No, He forgave. So shouldn't we be able to do the same? Oh God, help me to see the bigger picture. Sometimes I, I reference a lot my children. Why? Because they teach me so much. They teach me so much. And, you, and it could be a child. It could be on the job. It could be a project you're working. Um, and you'll see people get really frustrated. Maybe you've had people say, oh, you guys are doing it all wrong. And why did you do it this way? And, and, and we had a, and I, I do a lot of st construction stuff. And we have specs. And, and this is what it said to do. And yet sometimes... The people speaking, it's not because they don't care. They do. They just don't get to see the bigger picture. I remember one project I was on. All the money had been spent. <laughs> it was like this thing, the end is in sight. And yet people were caught up on, well, what about this right here? They didn't get that right, or they didn't get this right. And you're like, but it'll work just fine. And we're almost done. And we could destroy the entire project getting caught up in these things right here that you're bothered by because you don't see the big picture. But in knowing that, you could have a little more patience. Knowing that they were trying to do, that they were being diligent, you could have more patience. Knowing that you could see the end was in sight and you were going to accomplish it, you could have more patience. Sometimes your kids, they, 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 they don't know. They're like, are we there yet? But when they finally get to the end of the 13-hour road trip, and you finally take them to that wonderful place. They're like, okay, I understood why it took so long. Because this wasn't by Omaha. But on the way, they're like, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Why do we have to keep driving? Why do I have to sit in this back seat crowded against three people? Why do I have to go through this? God sees the bigger picture. So lay aside all hypocrisies and envies and evil speakings. Put aside the characteristics of the world. And he tells us, get those things aside. And as newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the word. He tells us in verse 11, Dearly beloved, abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul, having your conversation honest. Church, I, I, I'm just putting these verses out there. He's saying you need to not live like the world. You need to not be corrupted like the world. He, you need to get rid of those things that want to come back. See, we're still in flesh here. In our human nature, it wants to grab on us and it wants to pull us back. And so, we have what we're supposed to leave behind. We have a struggle. Does anybody ever find it to be a struggle? Does anybody ever find it? You feel an attack from the enemy, all right? Does anybody ever find it a struggle to just... I kind of would like to go sin. Okay, I don't, I don't want to raise my hand. But have, have you ever had a wrestling in your life where something that you were brought out of you wanted to go back to or something else that someone else gets to do or just maybe how they handle the situation, you just really want to rip some people's heads off? You know what? If you can just take the five seconds and keep the mouth shut, you won't have to go back and undo a whole lot of damage. It'll save you sometimes hours and maybe even longer than that of effort to undo what five seconds destroyed. So just hold on. You've been brought out of that. 
And then there's another key here. So we have all the things we're supposed to leave behind. But then throughout the book of Peter, you would think somebody who has the kingdom of God, we have authority, we have charge, we've crushed Satan under our feet, we got this, we're here, right? We're, we're, in a, we're, we're queens and kings, we're princesses and princesses, we're, we're here, we're a royal priesthood. 